Whether you're a sports fan or you run a business, you got to have something to wear. Why not get it branded? Why not represent your favorite sports teams, your favorite high school, your favorite college, your favorite pro team? Why not represent your business when you're out and about your respective communities? Anode Designs can help you out. Anode Designs, our great friend Blake Hempstead, contributor at Skyline Sports. He's the man in charge there at Anode, and they can get you hooked up with everything from Anaconda Copperhead gear to any and every sort of branded gear for your business. Find out more, visit anodesigns.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Anode Designs is located at 421 East Park Avenue in Anaconda. You can find them on Facebook or you can give them a call, 406-563-0121. Where we get all our gear from Skyline Sports, Anode Designs in Anaconda. Breakdown, SkySportsMT.com. Brooks Nuana is joining us here now on the Big Sky Breakdown, and we'll get right to it. Football season open for both the Montana schools. The Grizzlies, 35-20 over Butler, to open up their season at home on a hot one at Washington Grizzly Stadium. And then Montana State ran roughshod over Utah Tech, 63-20, 407 rush yards for the Bobcats. Uh, to me, one of the primary positive storylines coming out of both these games is how dynamic the freshman running backs for both the Grizzlies and the Bobcats are. Eli Gilman, 119 yards and a touchdown in his Grizz debut. And Scottray Humphrey, he lived up to the hype as well. 114 yards and three scores. He wins National Freshman of the Week this week. Uh, but both guys certainly candidates for that award. Brooks, just take us through it. I mean, start with the Grizz game. You were there on the sidelines. Uh, it was a hot one down there. It was uh, a little bit chaotic early on because the clock wasn't working. There was no score or scoreboard for the first quarter plus, I think, two or three minutes into the second quarter. Uh, and Montana, they did not have their way with Butler for the first two and a half quarters, but then they pounded them uh, down the stretch and pulled away for a win. Uh, just your general impressions, your thoughts of the Grizzlies. I mean, it's always good to get back out there, Colter, you know, get in front of uh, a, a big crowd and, and watch some football, some live action happen. Um, I thought that the Grizz were underwhelming. You know, I always have to give my disclaimer before uh, talking about the Cats and the Grizz that I only talk about them in the lens of winning national championships. That's the expectation from the fans, from us at Skyline Sports, from the national media, and from the teams themselves. I'd like to make sure uh, that we're all on the same page when we're evaluating uh, the who's, what's, why's, of a, of a sure a week one non-conference opponent a tune-up game you can call it whatever you want I thought that they looked um, there was a little lack of urgency I thought that the uh, the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball was an issue for the Grizzlies at times and um, as you mentioned Colton in the second half they really started to get a little bit more mo- momentum Clifton McDowell goes in at quarterback um, and really gives them a, a spark they start to run the football more effectively they're getting downhill on people I think that really gave them the mentality that they needed in the second half um, Trevin Gradney comes up with a huge interception and then kind of the avalanche ensued of, of the Grizzlies looking pretty sharp uh, there for the better part of a quarter, a little bit more than a quarter there uh, between the third and the fourth. So I thought uh, there were some good things, but overall I thought that the Grizzlies probably need uh, a little bit more urgency as they go into these next few weeks and next few games to really establish who they are um, as a team internally and externally before conference play. I think that what what Bobby Houck and his staff want the identity of this team to be is one that's relentless and and never relents whatsoever. And I thought that the Grizz came out 
as good as you can. I thought their opening script was great, and Junior Bergen's, uh, I think, 55 or 60-yard touchdown. I, I don't know because there's no live stats during the exact <laughs> moment, so I haven't uh, checked back yeah. to see what the yeah. official number was. But a, a huge play, and that touchdown was a great spark. Then the Grizz defense is swarming, and they force a fumble, and they get the ball down by the goal line. But then they have to settle for a field goal. And then uh, I thought the next defensive series – they looked good, and they played with high intensity, and then it was a little bit ebb and flow in terms of the intensity that they were playing with. Um, but then it seemed like when they got their backs pushed against the wall, and it was 21-20 to in the third quarter, then they made some big plays. They put in Clifton McDowell. He engineers a touchdown drive to put him up a full score. Then Trevin Gradney, who I think he deserves a ton of credit because I thought he was swimming a little bit the beginning part of the game, and that's that's to be expected, his first career start. He balled in the second half. I thought he played awesome, and he had the great pick. He had a couple other great pass breakups, but he gets the pick, and then they take that interception and turn it into a points again, and then they were able to just bleed the clock and, and get out of there with a win. So, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a bookended deal. I thought the start was great, and the finish was really good. And I thought you saw some guys settle in. I just thought it was the middle part where, uh, you know, lack of fundamental discipline in terms of the turnovers that they committed and uh, maybe sort of wavering intensity uh, on both sides of the ball, those are sort of the things that I think eluded Montana in the middle part of the game. Absolutely, and I thought that the biggest play of, of the the game until the Grizz start to really avalanche in the second half was that turnover, as you mentioned, Coulter, on the on, uh, after the big touchdown by Junior Bergen, they get a turnover, and then they settle for a field goal. And I really felt like the crowd and the stadium had a, was a little bit deflated. Then if you go up fourteen nothing, it might be a runaway forty nine nothing train, but it really wasn't. And then I thought the only other big issue was when it was 21 to 13, Butler didn't have like some massive 75 yard touchdown where it was a blown coverage and they scored. They marched down all the way to the South end zone and score a touchdown in a really solid drive. You know, there was a couple, there was one big play, but you, you get what I'm saying. I'm alluding to that. It was not that the, that there was luck or that there was a, you know, a trick play or scheme or any of that. It was truly just good, solid football by the, by the Butler Bulldogs. And, you know, Hats off to Butler, right? I mean, they the quarterback really played well. Receivers had some great catches. I thought that they, you know, came to play a good football game. I just thought that the Grizzlies really should have, talent-wise, size-wise, line of scrimmage, especially-wise, should have taken care of business. But Coulter, as you mentioned, in the second half, in the second half, the place was rocking, and the Grizzlies got going. Uh, nothing to complain about there. Uh, looked good on special teams. Both kicker and punter played well. Uh, you know, the Grizz had plenty to build on. I think, that, as I mentioned the national championship aspirations. They start today. They started last week. They started, you know, uh, they start in the spring all through summer. A lot of work goes into this. I would, I would assume and imagine that the urgency and the intensity increases throughout the season. And you also got to uh, give some nuance to it as well. I mean, Sam Vidlak threw two picks, and then that's when they decided to go with Clifton McDowell. But I uh, rewatching the film, his first pick – he throws one right in the breadbasket, and Sorry Racanelli doesn't catch it, and it bounces up in the air, and then Butler gets a tip pick. His second pick, he gets absolutely crushed because there was a missed block on the, uh, by, the, by the running back in the pass protection. I thought that there's still some work to be done in terms of chemistry with the offensive line and, and Vidlak finding the pocket. I thought McDowell showed more comfortability in the pocket, and part of that's just because he can move better. But... Um, I think that Sam Vidlak kind of was the goat. I heard a lot of people saying, uh, you know, when he after his second pick and the Grizz were sort of in this dogfight with the Bulldogs, people were dogging on Vidlak. And I think that his actually his two turnovers were circumstantial more than just, you know, making terrible throws or terrible reads. 
Agreed. Yeah, I mean, and Bobby Huck said that uh, the Clifton McDowell going in the second half was the plan all along. I think it was looked unfortunate because of the timing of the interceptions. Who knows which side of that it's true or not. Uh, but I thought that Midlack threw the ball pretty well. I mean, from my angle, Coulter, from behind and in front, when he's kind of coming at me rather than the TV side angle, which most people look watch football at, he can spin it. You know, Midlack throws a good ball. Uh, he was on the money a couple times. There was a, a deep pass to Keelan White where uh, White and the corners uh, – Feet got tangled up uh, where I thought he had a really good chance to come down with that football. Several different breaks that don't go for Vidlak in his first start at Montana. Uh, I don't. I think there's still plenty to build on there. Um, I, I imagine he gets another chance. I hope for him and for the sake of uh, quality offensive football that they don't end up running the full triple option for the whole season. But, hey, uh, I'm used to that too. Brooks Duane is here on the Big CI Breakdowns, presented proudly by Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity uh, the, the positives for the Grizz, I thought they were exceptionally good in the run uh, defense. Watching the film back, you can really tell that they've adjusted some stuff in their run fits. For the last several years, so much of the run fit was predicated on the two inside linebackers being almost the exclusive tacklers, as well as then the, the strong safety, Ravi Houck, running the alley. Uh, now they seem like it's a more traditional run fit, and uh, I think that's going to help Montana I think you saw that in some of the tackle numbers as well. I mean, a guy like Ryder Meyer I thought played outstanding uh, as a backup safety that got a ton of run. thought Nash Fouch played really well as well. I mean, that, that was the spot I was watching the most was the three safeties because I think their roles are the ones that are going to be the most different with some of the adjustments that you've seen both in coverage as well as in the run fit. Yeah, I mean, I thought the safeties played really well. I liked everything that they did on defense, Coulter, except at times the line of scrimmage. And that was the same on offense. Right. I liked, I liked the way that they ran the football most of the game. I liked the way that they uh, got after the quarterback on defense. And I liked the way that the safeties came up and run support, as well as made some really nice open field tackles where they were getting stretched to the sideline. Butler talked about it. You know, they used a lot of fly sweep, not only action, but handoffs and, and passes moving laterally to get to the sideline just to try to create that advantage. I thought that Montana really responded to that well. Um, again, I think that the line of scrimmage is where football is played and won, um, and I think that Montana would agree with that. And it wasn't that they were bad. It was that when everyone else is playing at a very high level, you hope if that's there that then you start to really power people. Um, you know, I thought that Riley Wilson with his first start at linebacker, the transfer from Hawaii played really well. You know, I thought overall, Colter, that the defense was pretty solid. I think there's some concern at corner as far as when you get a team that can really get that, throw the ball down the field, what does it look like in one-on-one coverage on the outside? Is there talent? Yes. Is it proven? Not necessarily, as you, as you mentioned, someone like Trevin Gradney, who at times has played so well, first team all league on special teams at that point in his career, never has really started a football game or played a lot at the primary corner. So we'll see as that develops. But when you mentioned the safeties culture, I thought that they played as well as anybody in that game. I agree with you. I mean, I think that's my number one critique is that I do think they just need to be they need to be more dominant on the lines and in the fronts for sure, especially when you're playing a non-scholarship team. But there's plenty to improve on. I also think they'll get into more of a flow with the quarterback rotation that they've got. I think there's some some guys that'll settle in more in terms of the offensive skill and their roles as well. I think they're always going to be fine to really good uh, defensively. Uh, the the last guy I wanted to highlight that I put in my notes. And, and we always like to do this. We've been doing this for 10 years now where we pick out a guy on special teams that we love to watch. And a lot of times those guys then turn into stars. I remember once upon a time it was Jeremiah Kose and then Kendrick Van Akron. 
Uh, Gavin Crow was that guy for a little while, and then he unfortunately had a what amounted to a career-ending leg injury. Um, but then in recent years, it's been guys like Trevor Gradney and, and Cale Edwards. And uh, now, though, I think that uh, my new guy, at least on the special teams, is Vince Genitone. If you want to see uh, – a young man that goes goes as hard as you can go on kickoff. Watch number forty five. He's pretty darn impressive. I thought his first uh, hit on special teams where he shed the blocker and then speared the running or the uh, the returner. Uh, if I'm Bobby Halk, I'm cutting that one out and I'm saving it for a while and tell, and showing it and saying, "Hey guys, that's how you do it." I thought uh, Genitone looked great running down on kicks and punts. No, oh, yeah, man, their special team unit is is electric. Uh, it's actually been some guys uh, which I really like when guys are on. But, you know, a kickoff unit for multiple years. Um, you know, I thought that Tanner Huff looked good. He's getting some more run. Um, I, I loved uh, Jackson Lee. I thought that he looked great as well. Um, David Kopeng still running on special teams. I, thought, I mean, they have a, a, a dynamic unit, and I think they're going to create a lot of mismatches when it comes to special teams play. We saw it with the fake punt um, where Diedrich catches it as an up back and runs for, gosh, I mean, must have been 25 yards. Pretty impressive play. As Bobby Houck mentioned, uh, they want to they want to have plays like that within not only the script but the game plan is is leaning on when the time is right to run a wrinkle within the special teams. Something that he has continued to uh, not only love to do but does it more prevalently than he ever has. More often than not, Bobby Houck is looking for that edge at least one time a game, um, which is a huge a huge factor uh, for the Grizzlies. I, I think always has been, but I think this year we'll continue to see it develop. Grizz play at Utah Tech this week. Um, just give me one or two things that that you think that you hope to see out of the Grizz that uh, just in terms of improvements. Well, I think you just continue to run the football. I have mentioned I think anyone who's listened to our podcast, listened to the radio show culture, how much I think that Eli Gilman is a dog. I mean, the first time I ever saw him, I was like, "Well, that guy's going to play." And then when he got <laughs> exactly. Camp, I, I I kept saying, "Man, they got like eight receivers and like five running backs." and they got this dude, Eli Gilman, and I would play him. And it turns out that's how that's going to go. Uh, I continue to feed him, man. I think that he has so much potential. I think he's just scratching the surface. Uh, big physical running back, has speed, isn't scared of contact, everything you like about uh, a back in that, in that offense. So I think you continue to give it to him. And then the other side, Coulter, I think that if they need to establish what the linebacker rotation looks like, you've got to find a way to make Tyler Flink, Levi Janicaro impact players. If they're not going to be starters – and they're not going to necessarily get uh, starter reps. When they're playing spot time, they need to be impactful. You need to have packages for them that kind of lean towards their strengths. You have some really strong guys in Braxton Hill. You see Ryan Terrell getting his first start. And I mentioned Riley Wilson. I want to see what the rotation looks like, how it gets established, and how you actually create impact for those linebackers. Because we talked about it, safety strong. We think the lines will continue to improve. The secondary, while it may be inexperienced, I think has some strengths. The linebacker crew, what they call the FCS linebacker U, some dominant players there throughout the history of Montana. I think that that continues to create depth, continues to create leadership among the team. I love to see how the linebacker rotation. Here are some folks from Blackfoot Communications. Now we're with Eric. He is the consumer business manager over there at Blackfoot. How you doing, man? Good. Yourself? Very good. Right. So 
consumer business manager, I mean, what are your primary roles then there? Like? So we, we started what we're calling our consumer business division about a year ago. And that's when I stepped into that role. Prior to that, I was doing product management for the, for the company. So now what we're doing with our consumer business division is really focusing on our small business customers. And it's primarily focused on where we can deploy our fiber, fiber internet, fiber broadband services, and delivering those services in a simple way. So trying to make sure our operations are efficient, where a customer can call in and we can get them hooked up and set up right off the bat without going through more complex sort of enterprise-grade solutions, which is something we also do. But the idea of this is to create this really simple and scalable system that supports all of our network and a lot of the network expansion that we're doing um, you know, throughout our different communities. Big Set Breakdown presented by Blackfoot Communications. To see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business, visit goblackfoot.com. On the Montana State side of things, so I, I was at the, the Grizz game until about uh, early in the third quarter, then I, I beat feet across the mountain and went to the Gold Rush game. And uh, Montana State actually struggled early. They got stuffed on the goal line, uh, Sean Chambers did, and uh, Utah Tech takes over. But then the Bobcats sort of avalanche Utah Tech, and they, they get up a 28-3, to and then they keep on rolling. And it was 49-10. to MSU emptied the benches, and uh, even emptying the benches didn't really call off the dogs because even with their backup offensive line in, their backup quarterback in, all, I mean, a third-string quarterback in Jordan Reed, all the backup offensive linemen, you're, I mean, you're talking like fifth-string tight end, sixth or seventh-string running back, it didn't matter. They still scored two more times. I think it's just a testament uh, to MSU's depth. But we're going to get to the, the offensive skill guys that that stood out, especially Scott Trey Humphrey. I thought he was, you know, we expected Eli Gilman to be a, the, a dude, if not the dude, for the Grizz. They talked about Humphrey, but I thought Humphrey was going to have a much harder time being a star given everything else that MSU has back offensively. We'll get to the backs in a minute, though. To me, the most impressive part of what I saw in Montana State's 63-20 to win over Utah Tech was how their offensive line – is as athletic and aggressive as they were a year ago, and they're way, way bigger. JT Reed, who's the preseason all-league guard, he was out uh, in street clothes, yet they were still able uh, to roll such a big lineup out there. I mean, Justice Perkins is Justice Perkins. He's an undersized guy there at center. But Connor Moore at left tackle is even bigger than Rush Reimer. He's 6'5", 310, and then you move Reimer into guard, and now he's 6'5", 300, you got uh, Omar uh, Abidian there at the other guard spot. I mean, he's going about 6'4", 310 now. Marcus Weir back in the lineup. He's 6'4", 296. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, it's amazing that they were able to reshuffle what was the best offensive line in the league and one of the best offensive lines in the country reshuffle them, put more in the lineup, get Weir back, not have their all-league guard, and still look better than they ever have before. Uh, just, a, I mean, just a, And they have a new offensive line coach as well at Al Johnson. Just a testament to the, the pride that they take in that unit, but also just sort of the culture that exists. I mean, uh, to have the, the cojones to reshuffle that and, and get better, uh, pretty darn impressive if you're MSU. Hell yeah. I mean, they looked like, they looked like MSU, man. I mean, they, the last four or five years, the blueprint is pretty much set. Uh, get downhill on people and just smash the football, man. I mean, they ran it so effectively. Um, I thought it was interesting because we talk a lot about Colton, but Tommy Malott throws, you know, a, a couple okay balls and one really, really good one, and that's the deep ball. That was that was the case uh, 
on Saturday as well. I think, you know, they had, they had catches of 47, 45, 21, 19, 15. I mean, you know, kind of airing the ball down the field um, with some guys that could, that could make some stuff happen after the catch as well. So I thought that they looked as to be expected. You know, I think defensively, Coulter, we'll see how this team continues to evolve and improve and, and where the depth comes from. Um, I thought they ran the football well. They played well on the line of scrimmage. Um, I thought that they were playing an overmatched team, much like uh, many of these first, you know, couple weeks or first game goes in a season where, you know, if you're a heavy favorite, you want to come out and roll. And I thought the Cats could look like that. Um, uh, something that I was aware of, Coulter, but I didn't exactly know what it looked like on the, in live action was the kicking game for Montana State. I'd seen Brendan Hall. I'd heard about him. I wasn't really aware of, of the unique weapon that he can and is, appears to be. Um, really unique. What, what did you think of, of, of Brendan Hall's performance? Well, you got to remember, you, you know you heard about it. He's 6'9". You hear that. And I saw him when he was on his recruiting right. visit. I've seen him walking around. And 6'9 six, nine is 6'9". Six, nine. You're tall no matter where you're at in the world. But when you put on cleats and a helmet and you're standing out there around a whole bunch of other guys who are all 6'5", and you're a full head taller than them, it's crazy to see. <laughs> but, I mean, he kicked the ball straight out of the back of the end zone on every single one of his uh, touchbacks, and he was able to put on quite a display because the Cats scored nine touchdowns, so he got to kick it ten times. Uh, he's, uh, he's definitely a unique weapon. I think that's a, a huge get for MSU because Blake Lesnar had been so good the last couple years. They had to shore that spot up, and uh, it looks like they did. I just I knew he was a kickoff specialist, and those do exist out there. They're actually tremendous weapons. I mean, when you're talking about you're playing a Weber State, um, Abraham John, Abraham, what's his last name? Abraham Williams. Abraham Williams. I mean, he has what eight kickoff returns? He's got game. five in the last nine games. games. <laughs> right. He's got eight, six or seven in his career, maybe even eight with a punt return. Regardless, but you're playing someone like Weber State late in the season, even in the playoffs. And you can kick it through the back of the end zone ten times. You know how helpful that is? I mean, it's a true weapon, but I didn't really understand the, the field goal kicking, which obviously makes sense. I didn't know he could punt it. And I think he only had one or two punts, but the one he hit looked pretty darn good to me. So interesting weapon there um, for the Cats. But I think that the highlight of the day, Colton, was obviously Scott Trey Humphrey. I mean, talk about a body, man. Look at that dude's frame. I mean, he is uh, built to get downhill on people and, Perfect for the Montana State Bobcats, and uh, and I thought his first showing was as good as, as any you know freshman I'd really seen. We're always going to be talking about the passing game with MSU, and until it, it it gets to the point where people are satisfied with it. But a couple comments on the passing game. First of all, time Watts throwing the ball with significantly more velocity. You can definitely see that. That also caused for I th- I thought at least three that you'd call true you know statistically notable drops. And maybe even two more after that, but so you know, so he 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 was eight of fourteen for 157 yards and a touchdown, but he very well could have been uh, 12 of 14 if those guys haul those in. So uh, that's something that you could certainly improve on and, and put an emphasis on for sure. The, also, though, I thought he made two throws that uh, haven't been really part of his repertoire. I mean, as you talked about. The drag route across the middle where he's rolling to his right, he can throw that one. He can throw the back shoulder fade for sure, and then he he hasn't really had either needed to or, or been able to make a lot of the other throws. He made two throws, though, on Saturday that I thought really stood out. One, they ran an RPO uh, where he was sort of moving in the pocket, and he keeps it, 
and then he pulls it real quick, Jalen Hurts style, and he throws a beautiful ball right up the seam to Trayton Pickering for a 25-yard gain. It was quintessential uh, Philadelphia Eagles-type action. And, you know, I'm not saying that Tommy Malott's Jalen Hurts like the next Jalen Hurts, but that's his best pro comp, I think. And uh, that's how the Eagles kill people. If Tommy Malott could consistently make that throw up the seam where he throws it right over the top of the coverage to one of those big tight ends, that's big time. And then the other one that he made was the wheel route up the sideline to Jared White, which then turned into a 47-yard score. So uh, I know the passing game probably not quite where Montana State wants it to be yet, and I thought that there was stuff still – they left something to be desired a little bit on Saturday, but a couple throws I thought were indicative of Tommy Malott's improvements. Yeah, I agree with you, Colton. But, I mean, look, I would call it an improvement, but you got to think of the opponent. you got to think of the new talent at receiver. I think there's a lot of things that go into that. I'm I'm still kind of sitting in the camp of it's one of the areas that they can prove improve the most on. I mean, being a one-dimensional team, uh, depending on health, you, you can get it can only get you so far. I mean, there's very few teams that are going to you know go full stop, win national championships by running the full triple option. So, well, to be fair though, they have, did have their three best receivers out. Laniata Alexander uh, it had an eligibility issue, so he was not yet eligible. Ty McCullough is coming back from an injury. He'll probably be a week or two before he's back, the Colorado State transfer. And then Taco Dollar, he's going to be out to late in the season with a shoulder injury as well. So getting any and all of those guys back will also help. Yeah, I mean, you got Cleveland Thomas, uh, who is a guy that they haven't had, uh, you, know, you know, since time lot's really been at the helm. I mean, you can eat a different kind of player than someone like McCutcheon or I mean, go on down the line. Regardless, I mean, you're talking about 60, you know, a team that can score 63, and I'm going to be critical of the quarterback. It sounds silly, right? But what else are we going to do here? I mean, you've got to improve at something. I think that would be the case is that if there are, you know, eight to ten throws a quarterback needs to make, Tommy lot is making three or four of them quite efficiently, and the other ones are, I think, still to be determined. I think it is an area to improve. And I, I don't know if there's any way around that, especially if you are going to play multiple quarterbacks um, and the rhythm that it takes to be a play caller. Uh, as you start to get, you know, you start to run the football as someone like time a lot with seven carries, Sean Chambers, seven carries, that's 14 hits guys. You know I mean? You talk about two touchdowns for Chambers. So, you know, two less there, but you're talking about putting your quarterback in a situation to get 13, 14, 15, big, big shots taken on them. Um, a game that can affect the passing game. Again, I don't think that it's, uh, you know, we're talking about one of the best offenses in the entire country, one of the best offenses in program history and big sky conference history. Uh, but you're still looking at, how do you improve? How do you get an edge? I think that still is kind of the factor of, of where they look to maybe get a little bit more diverse. Well, here's a question for you. We'll get you out of here on this. The, the Cats had eight runs of 17 yards or more, including a 47-yard run by Scott Trey Humphrey that set up his first touchdown, the 79-yard run by Jared White, which was just flat ridiculous, a couple's quarterback scrambles that were 20-plus yards, including – one by Jordan Reed, which I'm sure Brent Vegan was holding his breath on because Jordan Reed's coming off ACL surgery, and they're trying to run out the clock, and this kid sprints for a 25-yard first down and then throws a touchdown on the very next play. Regardless, though, um, I, I do think that – here's, here's my, my thought. I think that Montana State needs to get into a game where they need the passing game to win it. I, the, on Saturday, they just – I mean, they rushed for 407 yards. It's pretty hard to uh, even need to pass when you can run the ball for seven and a half yards a carry to the tune of 53 carries. So I guess my question is, 
would it be beneficial to Montana State to get into a game where somebody actually did slow down their run uh, and they actually had the need to pass? And maybe, you know, I guess the question is if they had to throw 30 or 35 times in a game, would that actually maybe reveal some more stuff about the offense? I think 100%. I don't think it's ever going to happen. That's the problem. Uh, Nobody can hold them under even 300 yards. <laughs> yeah, it's not really possible. I mean, the the way that they're built, it's just, I mean, it's, yeah. You know when it is possible, Colter, and it's my whole point, and I, gave, I always give the precursor. We're talking about national championships. I mean, go play in Brooklyn, yep. South Dakota in December. I mean, good luck, you know. It, it, uh, you're going to have to do something more than just, uh, you know, slide around on ice skates. Go play in Frisco, Texas on that slick soccer stadium and go play the Bison in the, uh, in the national championship. That's when it matters. You know, we're talking about, you look at this schedule, who's Montana State not going to run 300 yards on? Nobody. They're going to do except it. Except for maybe this week. I would, except for maybe this week. Uh, I, would, I would put my money on 300-plus, um, no matter what the score is. If they were to throw it 35 times, I think that it would not only reveal some things in both positive and things to improve on, I think it would really give time a lot of better idea of what, not only not what it takes, because he gets what it takes, but what it feels like to have that. It's like being a relief pitcher, but you always want to be a starter, right? Like you're only throwing two innings, but what happens if you threw seven? What what happens? What do you have it in you? You know you do. You think you do. Your team thinks you do, but you've never done it. We've seen guys go back and forth between the bullpen, uh, starting rotation. Uh, you know, for the baseball metaphor, if you will. Uh, I think that it would be something that would be not only fun to see, but I think that time a lot would sure have a good time doing it. And guess what, Colt there? I mean, we were talking about a guy as talented as him, someone who's on Bruce Feldman's freaks list uh, for his athletic prowess. I think that he'd get the job done. I'd just love to see it. Well, very, very uh, rare in life to get a chance to get revenge. And, and South Dakota State got a chance to get revenge against Montana State last year. They took care of business in the semifinals and went to the championship and then won the national championship. Now the Cats get a, another shot at SDSU. Last thing for you, then, what are your thoughts on the uh, MSU game in Brookings this weekend? Uh, it's a huge opportunity, man. I mean, I think it's uh, as good of a regular season game as, as we've really covered in the last couple of years. I mean, there's always – you know, we've had some real showdowns in that early in the season. I, I think when teams are healthy, which we'll see. You talk about guys being out for academics. You're talking about guys that – get banged up here, there, the other thing, more or less this is about as healthy as you're going to be um, in, a, in a season where you're, you're primed, you're tuned, uh, you're conditioned, your neck's good, your back's good, your hands are good, your knees are good, everything's feeling all right, you know, bump and bruise here and there. But I think when you get that kind of opportunity uh, for both teams, it really sets the tone for the rest of the season. Uh, you can really lean on some of the things that you learn in a game like this. Uh, and I, I, you know, just knowing the two programs, First time in a long time that St- uh, Coach Stigelmeyer ain't in a round, um, which I think will be, you know, sure interesting as he's kind of as he continues to separate himself from that program. You know, the farther it gets down the road, we'll see how much culture they can attack in uh, keep intact that he had put in. I mean, one of the most legendary FCS coaches of all time, Colter, one of the most legendary Division II coaches of all time. Um, as they continue to move farther away from that era, we'll see what kind of leadership and what kind of style that they want to implement and and run. But I think that uh, I think the Cats got a good, as good of a chance as anyone to go in there and get a win. Uh, but man, Jackrabbits are tough, man. Jacks are uh, the reigning national championship for a reason. Um, but yeah, gosh, can't wait. That's a uh, very exciting one. Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Also, guys, to say thanks to Town Pump. We'll be traveling a lot this week. I'm going down to St. George. 
Tom Stuber's headed over to Brookings. Couldn't do it without Town Pump. They keep us fueled up all season long. Appreciate them. Uh, Town Pump, no matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump near you. Brooks Nuanas here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks for joining us, man. Yep, thanks. Join Town Pump's Pump It Up Rewards Plus program and never pay full price for fuel again. Save five cents on every gallon every day at any town pump across Montana. Plus, earn and redeem points on your favorite in-store items to get free stuff with our clubs. Stop in and pick up a rewards card. Download the Pump It Up Rewards Plus app today. Or visit townpump.com slash rewards to register and start saving. Big Sky Breakdown, back for week two of in-season Big Sky Breakdowns. Appreciate you for joining us, as always. And we also got to say thank you to Town Pump. I got pretty much all the Town Pumps in the western part of the state completely memorized. I know exactly where I'm going to stop when I'm on my way from Missoula to Bozeman, Bozeman to Billings, anywhere in between. And uh, we couldn't get where we need to get at Skyline Sports without Town Pump. Appreciate Town Pump for all the wild by the mile. Back for yet another year. We'll be giving you opportunities to win gift cards from Town Pump here as well as on Nuanas Now. And uh, they'll be keeping us fueled up all season long, including this upcoming weekend. we got a bunch of long road trips. I am road tripping down to St. George, Utah. Tom Stuber is road tripping over to Brookings, South Dakota. But before we get to any of this upcoming week, we got to talk about the week that was. Both Montana, Montana State, and the rest of the Big Sky Conference opened up the 2023 season uh, over the last several days, there was five games on Thursday and then another seven Big Sky teams were in action on Saturday. Ty Gregorak, lead analyst here at Skyline Sports, and uh, will be on the color commentary for MTN once again this year as well for Bobcat football games. He joins us now. Coach Ty, thanks for being here. Uh, before we get to any of the Big Sky action, holy smokes, man, Coach Prime, <laughs> the hype is real. They smashed TCU and... Uh, Pretty oppressive effort in the debut. What would you think of your alma mater? Well, it was incredible. Uh, you know, what the the realist in me would love to say, you know, let's pump the brakes just a scooch. But the buff in me is saying, wow. You know, and, and again, I'm, I'm on a thread of probably 20 or so former players and buddies. And, you know, as I said at, after the game, I was like, guys, the coolest part about not, not just winning, not, not just winning. And again, it doesn't matter if it's TCU who played in the national championship seven months ago, uh, who's established itself as a really good football program on the road. It doesn't matter if it's TCU or, you know, traditionally we always opened up with CSU just to see him get a win and and, and, in a a great game. I mean, that's the thing. It was a fun game to watch, but, but kind of my last text on the thread was if you, if you like college football at all, you were watching that game, you know, even, even if you're a Tennessee fan and you're watching Tennessee, Virginia, um, you're, you're going back and forth to that game. I don't know what the ratings were. I don't know how many eyeballs were tuned into Fox, but I mean, that, that was incredible, an incredible way to start his tenure there. No doubt. I mean, I, I kept telling you in our conversations up until Saturday, he'd been, he'd been, he'd done everything he was hired to do, which was to bring juice and excitement and, some, some flair and some swag back, back to CU football. Well, now he just did it on a national stage, uh, you know, with the big noon kickoff. And it, it was incredible, man. What a, what a, what a, what an awesome thrilling uh, thing for, for the Colorado football program, fan base, alum base, everybody. And they get to back it up with 
you know, a home game this week against a, you know, traditional rival, even though they're not in the same conferences anymore and haven't been for quite some time now, but you get the Nebraska Cornhuskers coming to Folsom Field in Boulder. Oof, there may be a, a wave of, uh, a wave of excitement uh, and, and a buzz in the air. It's going to be awesome. And if it, you know, again, you don't want to look too far ahead, but if they can beat that team, beat a CSU team, who's not as good as they had, they, Pre, you know they've been in the past next thing you know you're three and zero going going into usc and that that means shoot game day could be there in boulder for that game i mean it, it's just an awesome way to start the season it was so cool to see man it's wild to think about how much college football has changed since like the height of the nebraska colorado rivalry right like in the 90s and early 2000s when you were playing there i remember the it was either 2000 or 2001 when those two teams uh, played twice towards the end of the regular season, and and uh, Colorado had that huge win to, to derail the Eric Crouch-led Cornhuskers. And crazy to think what Nebraska football has become, what Colorado football became, but now maybe uh, the Buffs resurrecting on their way back. Last question on this before we get to some big sky talk, Ty. We talk a lot about this ever-influx state of college football, conference realignment, NIL, all these different things, unlimited transfers. I think that the the angle is almost always that we think that this is a little bit, maybe not negative for the game, but certainly uh, hard to keep up with for sure and needs more regulation. But I do think that Deion Sanders is sort of embracing the state of affairs in the the world of college football more than maybe any other coach. He's, he's going, I mean, they brought in, what, 45 transfers or something like that. He wants all his guys to have NIL deals. He wants them to have big brands. He's selling that recruiting. Is this a good or a bad thing for college football at large if this experiment continues to work like it already has? Buddy, Coach Prime's players' practice jerseys have their their Twitter handle. Or what, what I know. Their ex-handle, <laughs> is that what? I don't even know. What it, you know I don't I'm, even know either. I mean, if you see me on social media, it's generally because I'm posting a picture of my beautiful wife and, and kids and that's it I, I i i actually never had twitter jeff choke made me get twitter on the first day i became a bobcat and i'm like i don't do this coach and he's like what do you do now and but that's the way of the world that's the way of college sports and these kids that's the way you communicate with recruits now i mean it's just crazy but yeah man i think the, here's the deal if you don't embrace it you're not going to have a job like right. i mean college college football has changed you know and, and you know you take a crusty Wiley Old, probably one of the best coaches ever, if not the best, and a guy like Nick Saban. I mean, if it, 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 like what I know of Nick Saban, he'd line up in 22 and 21 and 12 personnel and run power, counter, play action, and try to beat your ass on defense. But that's not the game anymore, and that's not what, what's winning a lot of games in the SEC. So what has he done? He's gone to more of a spread approach, and I know he goes through coordinators faster than underwear, but you know, a guy like him who's been doing it forever and is a tough old ball coach – has had to embrace change, and if you don't embrace it, you're gonna get you're gonna get freaking you know flown by. I mean, it's just it is a different world, man. I mean, yeah, you're talking about Colorado and Nebraska. I mean, they're they're two of the two two winning a couple you know top eight winningest programs in the '90s who have fallen on hard times. Uh, you know the 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 prime experiment. I mean, it was kind of I actually kind of thought it was. Cool. Now, even if they would have lost the game, I, I hope his tone would have been the same. Do you believe now? Do you do you believe? Because they're they're gonna they're gonna do some stuff in Boulder. I mean, I I didn't believe it 
I mean, I, I some of my uh, scripts and, and MTM people last year were, you know, hey, Ty, what do, you, do you think this could happen in terms of Deion Sanders? I'm like, no. Why would it happen? He's got no ties. He's got no ties to Boulder, Colorado. Like, what? Why would it happen? Well, sure enough, they get him, and he's light. He's lighting the the Rocky Mountains, man. The front range on fire right now, and you get another win against a, a, an arch rival of the past in the in the in the Huskers. Uh, oof! What what a start. So, yeah, man. College football has changed. It's changed so much. I mean, it's 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 nuts. And we, you and I, could do segments on on just. We, we we could do segments on just one. Like, hey, let's talk about NIL for an hour. You know, for I mean, sure, we could, and we, and we wouldn't even be done. You know, so uh, I mean, seeing what some of these kids are making now. I mean, you know, my daughter's an aspiring. I mean, she's a heck of a gymnast. She wants to be an Olympian. You know, so she follows all these gals and the Libby Duns of the world who made three million dollars last it's year unreal. as an LSU as an LSU. I'm, I'm air quoting student athlete. She's making more than a healthy chunk of. NFL dudes, no I mean, question. That, that are, you know, in their rookie deals, and I mean, shoot, I coached a lot of kids that got to play in the NFL. They weren't making three million a year, Coulter. I promise you that. So, anyway, it's it's a it's a crazy landscape, and you and I've talked about it, man. Like the only thing that really, well, the, I, I, I there's a couple things. One, I I think that until they really start to regulate it, and NIL is such a stupid term because it's not NIL. I mean, if you truly getting paid to do the, you know, Kendall Ford advertisement, that's one thing. But when you, when you're getting, when, when some of these big time recruits are getting money before stepping on campus, that's not NIL, that's pay for play. That bothers me. Another thing that bothers me is these bi-coastal conferences, you know, where, where, you know, when you and I were coming up, uh, conferences were very regional and, and that was good for the student athlete. That was good for the fan base because you had these, you, you, you have these immediate rivalries and traditions well now you're going from la to new jersey all right and 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 i don't love that mostly because you and i both know the football teams are going to charter a 737 fly in fly out get home get done be back for you know workouts school life on you know the next that that same evening what who's going to really um not benefit from this is the Olympic sports, as we always call them, the, the, you know, the, the basketball, volleyball, soccer. And I, I say basketball, even though, you know, basketball is a huge sport, but it's still the same issues. I mean, a lot of times they leave on a Wednesday or Thursday and they won't return till Sunday and they're not jumping on and off their own chartered flights. I mean, they're getting on smaller airplanes and flying in that airports. And so, I don't know, man, uh, again, you and I could, talk a lot to you know down a major rabbit hole on this let's get let's start talking some big sky ball but yeah man uh it's it's wild it's just wild to see how it's all taking shape and 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 i i i I don't think it was necessarily an awesome week one just in terms of you know all all of the games when there's a lot of blowouts and you know it's just stuff you're like why is this team playing this team but yeah colorado tcu I mean, the, the two the two big ones here in the state we'll talk about. Great, great, great Saturday. It was awesome. Beautiful day. We're back in – it's fall, man. Let's go. It's, it's college football. Big shout-out to my guy Kevin over at Westside Private Gym. Kevin has a doctorate in physical therapy, and he is an excellent trainer and physical therapist. The easiest way to explain what my new 
endeavor with him is we're trying to break down all the concrete. And as you get older, you, you got a whole bunch of inflexibilities, immobilities. Your body is formed a certain way from all the ways you've been favoring your various bumps and bruises and injuries. And you know, you can you can make it through, but are you actually living your best life? Are you actually as mobile and flexible and malleable as you can be? And uh, you know, I've had some knee injuries, some shoulder injuries. We're breaking down the concrete and building it back up. The first couple weeks of these workouts have been pretty much just physical therapy based tearing down some fascia, loosening up the muscles, really working on the mobility, working on being mindful with the breathing and the muscle engagement, trying to make the muscles proportionally fire. That's such a key thing, and, and Kevin does such a great job of explaining that. So really appreciate him. Can't wait for the journey to continue. Keep you updated on what's going on over there. Fit during football back for another year, and I couldn't do it without the Hype House, or especially Kevin over there at Westside Private Gym. Football. Thanks to the Hype House. Hype House has been uh, quite a journey for me. It really uh, stretches my comfort zone. You're probably familiar. It's a high-intensity spin studio. They've also added some strength classes. I think there's some stereotypes there. You know, hey, it's just a bunch of really, really fit young gals that do it. And uh, certainly that's a, a large part of the clientele. But it's a very friendly and welcoming atmosphere. There's not a lot of guys that go. But if you are a guy that's listening and you want to try it out, I would highly suggest it. Super efficient workouts. They're really challenging, but it's not like you're dying. I mean, to put it in perspective, I would much rather go to a spin class than I would go for a run. I'm not much of a jogger, but the spin classes get your sweat on. It's fun, choreographed, and the strength class is a great way to supplement it as well. So appreciate the partnership down there at the Hype House. Visit HypeHouseStudio.com to learn more or download the great Hype House app. Well, speaking of Colorado, Montana State's head football coach Brent Vegan was a little bit in the mix at Colorado before CU hired Neon Dion. So uh, I think the Bobcats, though, happy to have him back. So we'll start with the Cats because that's the, the game that you and I were at together. Uh, I was also at the Grizz game for the first two and a half quarters uh, before making my way to Bozeman. And I know you watched the Grizz, so we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Bobcat Stadium lights, it was rocking, second largest crowd in Bobcat Stadium history behind only the rivalry game a year ago. So certainly uh, a ton of momentum from a fan base perspective for MSU. And, uh, I mean, you can just feel it, man. You live in Bozeman. You know the, the town's buzzing. The campus is buzzing. Uh, there's just that aura in the air when it comes to the energy that young people can can bring to a community and to a football stadium. And and then you, you have, see a Bobcat team that you know actually starts kind of slow, gets stuffed at the goal line on a fourth and one, which never happens when you got Sean Chambers as your – uh, goal line quarterback, uh, but then Montana State completely uh, puts the pedal down and they force a turnover. They score a bunch. They're up twenty-eight to three, and then they just cruise to a sixty-three to twenty win. It was amazing trying to watch them run out the clock the last quarter because they just have so much talent at both running back and offensive line that they weren't even really able to call off the dogs. They probably scored two to three more touchdowns than they actually even wanted to. Uh, but, I mean, that's just the way it goes. And when you got so many young backs chomping at the bit and so much depth on the offensive line, uh, the, the run game remains really impressive, man. 407 yards on the ground is, is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, your general impressions of what you saw uh, Saturday night in Bozeman? Well, uh, to, just to start where you started, yeah, it was an awesome night. I mean, it was eighty low 80s. You know, every everyone in the – crowd i think was wearing some form of gold yellow mustard whatever i mean it just it looked the part it looked like a big time college football atmosphere um but that's but that's what that's what msu has built to man i mean they're selling out games they're not losing home games ever 
<laughs> I mean, they haven't lost a home game since 2019, you know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on wood a little bit, but um, first impressions, yeah, I, I'll be honest. Now, now, I haven't seen, you know, an all-22. I, I got to be a fan. I got to be a fan for the first few games, and, and then I'll, I'll get my big rear end back in the booth. Um, I really thought that at least one of those early was a score. I thought Sean was in. And again, I haven't seen a replay. I haven't seen it, but I, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, looked like half his body was across the line. Um, that being said, early on, you're, you're sitting there going, okay, some new faces up front, new line coach, new running backs a little bit, new running back coach. Like, are they going to have that same juice, that same, you know, oomph when they're running the football because that's what they hang their hat on and have now for years. And all they proved was, <laughs> like you said, 407 yards later against and, – and listen, give, give, give Utah Tech, formerly Dixie State, some credit. They had, they had some dudes that fought and played hard, and they've got some veteran kids. And, I mean, you and I both know some of those kids are probably 26, 27 years old by now. And, uh, you know, they, they, they fought hard. But um, let's see, the things that stood out, I think that uh, if number 22 keeps playing uh, like that, They'll forget about the old number twenty-two and, and this, this this new twenty-two. Humphrey's a dude. He's a real dude. Oh man, I can't believe that Easter Washington let him get out of state. He's from Seattle, and uh, I mean, he's got juice, man. That's why I was our headline on on Sunday. It was the new twenty-two because Afonso wore the old one, and now Scott Trey Humphrey. I mean, pretty good, impressive debut by a freshman. Very, very much so. I mean, I, I just the kid. And now again, compliment to his uh, offensive line and obviously the scheme. But yeah, man, he's he. he He's a player, and uh, it was just an unbelievable rushing attack again. I mean, I, 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 I would love for you at some point, maybe you have, and I just haven't seen it, but just statistically, what they've done rushing football since, you know, we'll call it, you know, 2018, 2019 is just dumb. For a non-triple option team, and I know they run versions of triple option, but not a true, you, you know, triple um, they, they, they've run the ball so proficiently and so well, it's just it's insane. And, and, and to start the season off with 407 yards, incredible. I thought Tommy was very poised uh, when, he, when he needed to be. I mean, he just, he's just that steady hand, man. He's just, he, you know, he, he looks, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I went down to the sideline a little bit in the second half and you just, you just see him out there. And there's times where he kind of looks like a, a kid out there. You know, he just looks like, you know, that, that kid from Butte, but, he plays like a man uh, amongst boys. Um, I was a little, it was a little interesting to see uh, the lack of involvement that the tight ends had in the game, just because I feel so strongly about, about uh, Derek Snell and Trayton Pickering. I'll say, I'll say this. And I said, I said it on broadcast last year. I think Derek Snell is one of the best athletes in the program. And I'm not, I'm not talking speed. I'm not talking um, size, strength. But like just the all-around picture, the all-around package of who Derek Snell is, and I had to kind of chuckle to myself because they put him back there to catch punts. That's that's how much they they trust his hands. He's got unbelievable hands. Now, are they going to get you know big explosive returns like they would out of Marquis Johnson? No, or or a Taco Dollar? No. But they trust him to, to sit back there in lights and that sucker's booted up in the air. That's not an easy thing to do is catch, catch those punts and. They trust him to, to do that. And then defensively, I thought defensively, you know, for, for replacing a couple, um, you know, the guys like Ty Okada and, and Callahan O'Reilly, I thought defensively, they really, I, they didn't miss a beat. You know, I, I, I thought the, I thought there, there were some, there were some coverage things where, you know, the, 
and I know Coach Vegan addressed them, and they will address them. Some a couple breakdowns in coverage, which you know that was was a little bit of rearing an ugly head from last year. But no, man, I think all in all, uh, like you said, it, it ended up being extremely lopsided. Probably could have been worse if they really wanted to. But beautiful night, great night, uh, great start, and oh boy, do they have a they, do they have one heck of a test this week? I mean, I. I know you and I were text, te- texting, but man, they they go and put on a real solid performance slash, you know, scrap out a victory. I think, wow. I mean, they're, they're, the FCS. Not that they're not already on notice, but this 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 could be one heck of a 2023 Bobcat team. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC. No question. Then in Missoula, the Grizz played a non-scholarship Butler squad, but that was very well coached and had a really, really dynamic quarterback. Brett Bushka came into Washington Grizzly Stadium, and he was not scared. Uh, I must say, uh, I've, I've already called myself out on the podcast and on the radio show and on Twitter, uh, but I reemphasize, uh, last week at the press conference uh, for the University of Montana, I was a little flustered, got some stuff going on in my personal life. We'll leave it at that. We'll maybe tell you a little later on, but not now, not here. But I was uh, going in, and uh, I, I got Butler's quarterback confused with another game I was prepping for, and I thought Brett Buska was left-handed. I learned right away uh, it, throughout the week last week that he's not left-handed. He's right-handed. Uh, but for those listening, uh, you know, Bobby Houck uh, had some stuff to say to me at the press conference after uh, the, the game against Butler, but I was not there uh, <laughs> to, to retort to have a, uh, a, a comeback for him. But uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Either way. Bushka was a really good player. Butler was well coached. I thought they did a bunch of stuff, especially defensively, that the Grizz did not expect up front. And uh, Montana was excellent early. Their opening script worked to perfection. Junior Bergen, long touchdown, and then they force a fumble, and they have another chance to get another score. They have to settle for a field goal. But then Butler hung for the next two and a half quarters, and it was 21-20 late in the third then Bobby Houck and staff, they, they go with the big boy at quarterback and Clifton McDowell, and they run a bunch of zone read stuff, uh, read option stuff. And uh, McDowell and Eli Gilbin help the Grizz uh, ramp up the running game. Uh, Gilbin, who's the real deal, he's as advertised. Uh, a couple great, great young running backs in Montana. We talk about Scottray Humphrey at MSU and, and Eli Gilbin at Montana. But Gilbin, 119 yards and a touchdown. McDowell had 80 yards and a touchdown. And the Grizz rushed for 230 and if you take away the intentional grounding that lost them 25 yards, they would have been up over 250, which is which is Coach Houck's magic number. He always says if we rush for more than 250 and we force more turnovers than you, we're going to be tough to beat. And I think that that's a pretty good formula. Um, I think a lot of people are, are uh, sort of have a little consternation over this one, Ty, because they're thinking, okay, non-scholarship team, this is a team the Grizz should beat 55 or nothing. It's not always that easy, especially when you have so many new faces and new starters like the Grizz have, and especially when you're still – rotating in at quarterback and, and all the different factors that go into it. But uh, I thought Montana was great early and really good late in the middle, left something to be desired. But a lot of times that's just kind of how first games go. 
Yeah, I mean, I, and I could see that a little bit. I, and, and really, I think where maybe some frustration is, is early on in the game, you're like, oh, this could be, they could boat race them. I mean, they, they went down and scored so easily early. Uh, but no, I mean, Butler obviously did some good things. But I think, you know, it, it, fans are so quick to point out the negatives where, you know, it, and that's that's society, I get it. But point out the positives. I mean, they, they ran the ball for, what, 267? I mean, that's almost a three hundred. That's almost a three hundred yard game. I mean, you're with a freshman at running back and with Nick Osmo on the shelf, and he's their yeah. best returning running back. Yeah, no, I mean, I I thought, I mean, it, at times it looked like you know the offense. And, and again, I'm just watching the TV copy and, and and watching it, trying to go back and forth between the buffs and 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 this game. But no, I thought there's a lot of great things. I mean, they lost you know the, the all time leading tackler in the conference, and 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 uh, Ryder Meyer and Nash Faust. I mean, shoot, they they. I'm not assuming there were some errors, but those two looked like they balled out. I mean, that, that hit, that was a, that Fouch's hit was heard around the world. I mean, that's, that, that, that went viral. That, yeah, I mean, I, and I remember recruiting him a little bit, but you know, in my last year uh, before getting out, and I mean, hey, that was a phenomenal hit. And I, and Ryder Myers, a good football player. Um, well, it was entertaining to watch. I mean, they, they held him to, 20 points and uh i know that's probably too many for some fans but you know what what, what you didn't and i again i was kind of flipping back and forth but what you didn't want to see was you know get a little little edgy and a little ugly there at the end with some cheap shot i mean nash vouch but wasn't a cheap shot that was a great football hit in the open field it was a great shot for any kind of retaliation or you know a late hit that's just dumb that's just that, that that's, that's just bad ball so Anyway, I, I could get where things could get a little chippy after that, but no, I, I mean it was a looked like a looked like a great game, and and then obviously they they uh, they get to face uh, you know who we both got to see up close and personal this last week. I tell you this, and I didn't mention it with the cats, but but seeing plus three uh, in the turnover uh, battle, getting getting three turnovers and and not turning over a ball, I mean that just kind of that shows you where Montana State is at just as a program right now to come out in week one and, and, and play overall a really, really clean game in terms of penalties and, and, and turnovers and lack thereof. I mean, I know getting, getting shut out at, at the goal line early, not good, especially when you've got Sean Chambers on an offensive line like, like they do, but where, where, where the Grizz are going to have to clean it up is, is the, is the turnovers. I mean, the one, the one, the one throw uh, kind of late in the game, and I believe it was Vidlack. It's like, dude, don't throw that ball. Don't throw that. I mean, you're not, Patrick Mahomes, be, be be smart in that situation and and just you know get rid of the get rid of the ball or, or turn it up and get a few yards on on your feet. But what do I know, Coulter? I, I don't know. I, I think I think it was a hey. Both teams were at home. Both teams took care of business. One you know just in a little different fashions, but two, you know two 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 wins uh, for both the teams here in the state. And and honestly, overall for the conference, it was a really good weekend. I mean, it, it was really good. It, uh, I mean, starting with the, the Sac States and UC Davis and Idaho's early, and then everybody else kind of took care of business. Uh, it was good. Idaho State, shoot, man, Idaho State went and played a little bit and 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 and, and battled. You know, what you what you hate seeing is is <laughs> what happened in Eugene, Oregon. That was just, I mean, it probably could have been a hundred. You know, so anyway, it's good 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 first week for for the Montana programs and and the and the conference as a whole. Last couple of things for us. Ask you one more about the Grizz, one more about the Cats. Uh, what the, the biggest talking point for Montana football right now is the fact that they're running a dual quarterback system. 
Uh, you were a, a defensive coach and a defensive coordinator in the Big Sky for a really long time. I do think there's pluses and minuses to running a two-quarterback system. I think the minuses are I think it's hard for a guy to get into a rhythm, especially if the rotation isn't very fluid. I also think there's the old adage of if you have multiple quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks because that means one guy's not head and shoulders above everybody else. On the other side, I can totally see how I can give defense fits, especially when you have guys with sort of opposed skill sets like Sam Vidlak and Clifton McDowell have at Montana. And I also think that you know if, if you're the Grizz, you want to keep the quarterback competition going into conference play to see who you have, see what you got, and see who's the best option, o- only because you have a pretty forgiving non-conference schedule. I mean, you got Utah Tech on the sure. road this week, and then you got D2 Ferris State coming to town. Certainly can't overlook either one, but you have to think you're going to be multiple score favorites against both. So um, what do you think of just the two-quarterback system that Montana's uh, trying to operate with right now? I think I think you you said it very well. They, they've got the luxury of really um, exploring and you know, see, seeing what, what works, what fits in these, in these first few games. You don't want to overlook anybody. I get that, but you know, you kind of want to see what what the two can do. I mean, it's one thing to go against, you know, the ones and twos for four weeks of, you know, fall camp and then start going against your scout team. You know, you start seeing live bullets. And, I mean, I know they were a non-scholarship team, but they still had some guys that played their tails off and, and were coached well. And so I, I think it's just a matter of uh, putting together three weeks of film against these, these three opponents and then, Kind of, you know, going 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 from there and seeing um, how it best fits um, what Coach P's and, and obviously Coach Howe, but Coach P's and the offensive staff want to do. And um, you know, you look at you look at the two quarterback system over here in Bozeman. You know, they're 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 probably more similar than you think. They just don't look the same. I mean, you know, Sean is a six three and a half, six four, big big guy, and you know, they they both are so good on their feet and they're both good athletes. Um, but, but coach vegan, they, they, they've, they've proven that this can work. And, you know, Sean comes in at, at, at you know, my, minus, minus when Tommy got hurt, you know, with the, the head off the turf at Eastern and the, you know, the few times that he's been dinged up in his career here, um, Sean's always going to play. I mean, he's always going to play. And I know coach Houck said, um, I think, I think some, I think he was asked the question as to when the Clifton kid came in he said, no, that was, that was planned. I mean, they were going to. They were always going to do that uh, just via game plan. And so I think it's just kind of, you know, yeah, you, you, you asked about it from a defensive perspective. I think, I think what, what Montana State does is so hard because they even put those two on the field at the same time. Yep. Can, you, can you, you know, can you imagine trying to scheme up that? Like, okay, there's Tommy Malott at, at X. Do we just say screw it? Because they're not going to do anything with him. Uh, you know, but, but they, they just do – so much with those two guys and, and so I think I think it's just kind of a feeling out process both are good at I'm talking in Missoula both are both obviously look like good athletes with just different skill sets and so who, who knows man I mean they they both they both might play all season they might just say you know what this this one is this one has given us a better chance to win football games and go with one I don't know but yeah I mean I I, I never really truly feared a two quarterback system at all I mean you almost there, there, there were some where you, you, you almost had separate game plans for, you know, like, oh, this, this, this guy's a true pocket passer. You know, we know what we're getting when this guy, and this, this guy's the runner, you know. So, you know, you, you almost have like a, like a little mini defensive game plan for the other guy. I don't know how, as a defensive coordinator, you would change 
based off of Tommy and Sean. I, I mean, I, th- I think you kind of – the script is the script. You, you, you call your defenses because you kind of you get a good idea what you're going to get. Um, these two over in Missoula, again, the next couple of weeks will be interesting um, against – Utah Tech and, and Ferris State, but I think I think we'll know a lot more after these next two weeks. I think they're probably still knowing Coach Houck, You know, they're, they're, well, I know I know for a fact it's still an evaluation. But you know what? So so is every other kid on that field too. You know, so uh, we'll know a lot more in the next few weeks. Doug Gregorak here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Last thing for you, then, man. It's funny because the way that Cat's season ended a year ago getting blown off the field basically on a snowy arctic day in brookings south dakota i think there's a lot of talk that the the jackrabbits are a big time favorite and and justifiably so they're the defending national champions they not only rolled montana state in the semis but then they also rolled north dakota state in the championship and pretty much nobody's done that so they definitely definitely have some bragging rights and they also have a great reputation to stand upon that said they have a new head coach for the first time since 1996 in, in Jimmy Rogers after taking over for, for John Stigelmeyer, the uh, classy and super, super well-tenured veteran coach there at SDSU. So um, the thing people forget, though, is that this is the rubber match, actually, and South Dakota State lost in Bozeman two years ago in 2021 to go to the uh, national championship game for the Cats. So uh, these teams have had their battles over the years, I know you coached in a couple uh, as well. What, what are you thinking about uh, this matchup in Brookings on Saturday? Certainly, all eyes around the FCS are going to be on this one. Yeah, it's it's huge. We're uh, I know I know we're bummed as a as a crew who gets to do these games here in a few weeks. That we would have we would have loved to have been able to call this one. I mean, you talk about a a heavyweight matchup early in the season. It's it's it's. Uh, it's huge, man. It is huge. And, and a lot's going to come from this game uh, in different respects. You know, I mean, obviously going on the road and, and winning would be huge. But I, I think I think it's going to answer a lot of questions as to where, you know, the last seven and a half, eight months uh, have gone for, for the CAT program, what they've done to remedy um, what's happened in, in some of the last games over the last few seasons. Yeah. This, this, it's, it's almost kind of weirdly becoming a rivalry, and it, as it should be, you know, the Dakota schools and Montana, the Montana schools. I feel like one of one of the programs should play each other, you know, every year. Meaning South Dakota, South Dakota State, North Dakota, North Dakota State, and then Montana, Montana State. I just it's uh, with the with the border with the border, you know, being as close as we are. I know we're not close in terms of mileage to some of these schools, but. No, it should be awesome, man. I, I just think, yeah, it's they're so physical, you know, and that that's that's where Montana State, who's a physical team, and, and they've just proven that they they could not out physical the North Dakota States and the South Dakota States for the last couple of years. Um, it's a huge test just to, just to see what kind of what kind of strides they've made in the weight room and and and. and uh, you know, being able to match that that style of play is huge, and we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot, I think, about this team come Saturday. But yeah, I mean, it's early in the season, so you know, I'm gonna say there's lots riding on it. There's implications, no doubt, but it's still very early, and it's it's a non-conference game. But I just feel like I said it earlier uh, in our call with a win. Um, if, if 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 Montana State can go there and win. I just don't know how anyone couldn't be saying, you know, they're they're in the driver's seat to make a a, a real good run. So, 
it will be fascinating to watch. I don't get to go, sadly, but I'll be watching it at what is it, five o'clock our time, and uh, will be will be a fun one to watch for sure. He's Ty Gregoracki. Joins us each week here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Coach Ty, great seeing you on Saturday, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. But thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a great week, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an awesome uh, week week to a ball. We still got football, Coulter, tonight. What is it, Clemson, Duke? I mean, it's like yeah, it's forever. Months. It never ends these days. No, and, and now we got the league starting up on Thursday night, and I mean, it's like it's the best time of the year, my man. Football's always on, and uh, I know you and I'll be watching it and get to talk about it. So thanks for having me, Coulter. Have a great week. Happy anniversary to Blackfoot Communications as we celebrate five years of helping local entrepreneurs through the C2M Beta program. C2M Beta has helped launch exciting new businesses in many sectors, including virtual wellness solutions for hospitals, exercise options at airports, cattle monitoring solutions, and much more. Check it out at c2mbeta.com and sign up today for the showcase event on July 11th in Bozeman or join virtually. National SCS analyst Sam Herter for Hero Sports. Bet MGM, you've heard him uh, a ton on this show. If you're an FCS fan, of course you know who this guy is. Generous enough to uh, to give us some time every Wednesday. Sam, first off, thanks for joining us, man. How was your week one? Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, week one was, was fun uh, to have, to have uh, you know games from Thursday all the way to Sunday. Um, and so was able to watch a lot of games on the TV. Also made it to U.S. Bank Stadium for NDSU Eastern Washington. So, yeah, overall it was a fun weekend. Well, let's just start there. What were your impressions of uh, not only that game between NDSU and Eastern Washington, uh, but sort of the event there? Because I know that was a big deal. The FCS kickoff, two nationally prominent programs, playing it in an NFL stadium there in Minneapolis. What was your experience like? Yeah, I thought overall, you know, it was pretty good. Um, you know, it was kind of interesting because when this game was scheduled, I think NDSU um, and U.S. Bank Stadium, for that matter, expected this to sell, you know, between 35, close to uh, 40,000 tickets. Um, but last week at this time, you know, the, the expectation was there was going to be, you know, between 15 and 20,000 uh, people there. Uh, the, the total attendance ended up being 22,000. Uh, so that's why it was weird is that, you know, it, was, it, it didn't meet expectations, but as far as a week ago at this time, it exceeded, you know, the expectations. Um, and so it was, you know, it's a 70,000 uh, seat stadium um, and, you know, 22,000, you know, people there for an FCS game for, for any FCS game is usually pretty good. But when you put it in a stadium that big, um, you know, it didn't look, you know, all that great uh, being there. But at the same time, you know, it was still cool. That's that's one of the, the, the best stadiums in the FCS. And so um, overall, I still thought it was a pretty, a pretty good experience uh, to be there. And, uh, you know, as far as the game, uh, I thought NDSU looked sharp. Uh, defensively, they played a lot better than what I expected, um, you know, especially with the new-look secondary defending that uh, pass-happy Eastern Washington offense. You know, I thought the, the defense looked really good. Um, and offensively, I thought NDSU – uh, opened opened the playbook playbook up a little bit more. Um, had a little more balance uh, at, at different times uh, during the game, and you know we'll see. You know I understand that Eastern Washington was not good uh, last year, and they also, especially down the stretch, you know really struggled. Um, and I think Eastern Washington is going to be a little better uh, than last year. Um, but you know a 35 to 10 win for NDSU. You know we could look back on it in November when Eastern Washington is maybe two and seven and say, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that victory wasn't as good as what it seemed. Uh, but as of right now, you know, I thought it was going to be like a, a seven to 10, 14 point NDSU win. Um, and so 
as, as far as right now, you know, NDSU exceeded my expectations for how they, they handled Eastern Washington, and that's, you know, really all we can go off of uh, as of right now. Well, in a little bit of a uh, two-quarterback look for the Bison, too. I know Cam Miller's still there, but they had another guy get some reps as well, right? Yeah, they've done that a little bit uh, in the past. Uh, you know, Cole Payton uh, is the backup quarterback to Cam Miller, um, and he's kind of more of a running quarterback. He's six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds, um, and so he was used last year as a running quarterback. Uh, two years ago, NDSU had Quincy Patterson as a running quarterback uh, behind Cam Miller, and so they've always kind of had a. Um, it, it's somewhat of a two quarterback system, and now it's not to the extent of like a Montana State or a, or a Sac State where they, um, you know, split the reps. You know, that fifty fifty. Uh, but Cole Payton had more touches and, and and more overall snaps in this game against Eastern Washington than, than probably he he had in any game uh, last year. And so they're they're trying to utilize him uh, a bit more. I think NSU fans still want to see him throw the ball. Uh, in, in the few occasions that he did throw the ball uh, against Eastern Washington, look, didn't look all that sharp. Uh, but, you know, Cole Payton is a guy from uh, Omaha, and uh, I think, you know, shortly before signing day, uh, Iowa State offered him and Nebraska also offered him. And so he was a, a pretty big prize recruit for NDSU. He's just been stuck behind Cam Miller. And, uh, you know, uh, NDSU fans are kind of up and down on Cam Miller, and uh, some Bison fans want to see more Cole Payton. Um, and I think we saw a pretty good glimpse of, of what he could do running the ball against the Eagles. No doubt. North Dakota State Bison, of course, still a consensus top two or top three team in the country there. So a bunch of eyeballs going to be on them throughout the season. A little firsthand analysis there from Sam Herter, who was at their season opener against Eastern Washington in Minneapolis over the weekend. Sam, backing out and, and just taking the view from 30,000 feet on week one, you watch a ton of games, but but what in your experience from doing this for so many years like you have, can you really take away from the first real week of the season? Yeah, it, it is you know tough, especially this particular opening weekend, because there were a handful of FCS versus non-Division One games. There were uh, a, a lot of FCS versus FBS uh, games, and you know some of them were uh, saw some ranked FCS teams get blown out by Power Five opponents, and there are also some unranked teams that don't have too high of expectations, uh, like a Southern Utah or a Maine uh, that competed really well, you know, uh, against a group of five FBS opponents. And so it, it's so hard to gauge because okay, Semo loses by like 50 points to Kansas State. Meanwhile. Uh, you know, Southern Utah almost beats, uh, I think it was Arizona State. Uh, you know, so how, how exactly do you, do you juggle that? Does, does that mean that Southern Utah is better than SEMO? You know, I, I would probably venture to guess probably not. And so, um, yeah, a lot of these results were kind of hard uh, to gauge. You know, there weren't a ton of great FCS versus FCS matchups. Um, and, you know, the, the, most of the FCS versus FCS matchups we did see were, uh, you know, top 25 teams versus maybe, you know, bottom 40 teams in the FCS. And so it was hard to gauge, uh, you know, kind of the, the landscape of things so far. But, you know, of course, the, the more results that come in and uh, the more games we watch, the, the better feel we can get of things. Well, it is so tough at this level, right? Because like you said, I mean, the scheduling just is what it is. Even if these teams aren't playing the money games against the Power Five, in which case, what are you going to take out of a top 10 FCS team getting their doors blown off? Seems like a lot of the top 10, the, the top 15 teams in the country are then going the other way and scheduling, like you said, maybe a team that's not quite there in the FCS or even a non-Division One team, like you mentioned, 
Incarnate Word, the only top 10 team that lost this week, 28-14 at UTEP. Has it just become a trend these last couple of years to, to sort of get the uh, the unbalanced scheduling these first couple of weeks to where it becomes even harder to take anything out of those games? Yeah, you know, I, it's hard to say if it's if it's a trend, you know, just, you know, off of surface level, you know, it does seem like a trend uh, to me as far as we're, we're getting less, you know, marquee FCS versus FCS games. Uh, you know, obviously we're going to get one a big time this week when, when Montana State goes to South Dakota State. Um, and there are, you know, uh, some decent crossover games. Uh, the Big Sky and the Valley have their challenge uh, going on. But, you know, I, I would love to see the CAA play more SOCON teams. And, uh, you know, I think that would be kind of a, a somewhat regional cross-rivalry series uh, that they can do. Um, and I also think, you know, the uh, the playoff committee in the past hasn't really sent you know a great message as far as how you should schedule in the non-conference uh, because it's become pretty clear that if you're a seven-win team in the Big Sky or a seven-win team in in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, you have a really really good chance to uh, to make uh, the playoffs. Um, and you know not not to pick on Montana or anything, but uh, you flip flop Montana's non-conference schedule last year with UC Davis's non-conference schedule last year. UC Davis is probably seven and four, and Montana is six and five. And UC Davis is in, and Montana is out. Um, and I, I think the playoff committee has kind of sent a message with some of their with some of their wording as far as you know. It's it's you know it was, it was hard to put UC Davis in at six division one wins when we're stacking them up against a, you know seven win teams and eight win teams. Well, if you're UC Davis, you go okay. Then we're not going to then we're not going to play South Dakota State in in the non conference because why would we do that? But in the FCS, I think those type of games are good for the FCS because it gets us talking, you know, it gets the energy, you know, flowing. It gets the social media discussion going when Montana State and South Dakota State play. We have matchups like that. But, you know, if you're Montana State, like, do you want to schedule these games? And kudos to uh, Montana State for and South Dakota State for getting this game on the schedule with the home-and-home series. But at the same time, if the message is, hey, play – uh, you know, one money game if you can, but if not, play three FCS teams that you know you have a great chance to, to beat. You know, just do that. And so you're three and zero in, in in conference or in non-conference. All you have to do is go four and four in the Big Sky, and at seven and four, you're you're probably in the playoffs. I don't think that's a great message. Um, I like to see FCS teams schedule tougher in the non-conference, but at the same time, I understand why they don't because it's all about setting yourselves up for the playoffs. No doubt. You're preaching to the choir there, man, particularly with the the way the UC Davis-Montana situation played out last year. Uh, you know, I think that it would have been helped if Eastern Washington was probably the same caliber as they were probably when that FCS kickoff game against North Dakota State was put on the schedule multiple years ago. That would have helped the Week 1 schedule look a little bit better, but a bunch of those teams, in particularly the top 10, top 15, coming out with blowout wins this week, holding on to their spots in the poll. Sam, real quick again here before we do, we do want to talk about particularly that Montana State-South Dakota State game coming up this week. Uh, Sam Herter, national FCS expert for Hero Sports and Bet MGM, joining us as he's going to do in the first segment of every Wednesday's Nuanez Now throughout the fall. Uh, but Sam, just uh, one more, maybe two more general questions here, and they can co- sort of go together. Again, taking the 30,000-foot view, who really impressed you this week and, and maybe who didn't impress you so much? Yeah, you know, Southern Illinois probably had the best FCS versus FCS win. Uh, they beat Austin P 49-23. Uh, you know, it, it was a blowout from the start. And so Austin P I think, scored a couple of times late to, to make it 
I guess not as ugly, but at the same time, they still lost by, you know, 25 plus points. But, uh, you know, SIU and Austin P, uh, neither team was in the top 25 uh, coming into that game, but they both received votes. And so, um, you know, two pretty good FCS squads in Southern Illinois looked, looked really good um, in that one. I also was really impressed with Florida A&M taking it to Jackson State. Uh, JSU had a ton of momentum coming from uh, week zero, um, and so for Florida A&M to uh, to be tw- to be up twenty eight nothing at halftime was was of course really really impressive. Uh, as far as a performance that you know uh, I, I guess was a bit more disappointing, uh, that would probably be Northern Iowa. Uh, you know they lost thirty to nine at Iowa State, and, and I know it's you know it, it, it can be hard. You don't want to judge a team too much off of their performance against a Power Five program. Uh, but Iowa State was was only favored by seven points over Northern Iowa, um, and a lot of us looked at this game as you know a, a game that Northern Iowa can keep it within uh, you know seven to ten points. And uh, you and I really struggled in this game. Their star quarterback Theo Day he didn't play all that well. Uh, only 164 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. His offensive line didn't help him out. He was sacked five times. There was also five uh, quarterback hurries that Iowa State got, and so. Um, it, Again, it was a Power 5 opponent, yes, but a lot of us expected Northern Iowa to compete much better than what they did. Blackfoot Communications is excited to announce new voice services for small businesses. Paired with our internet services, business Wi-Fi, and technical support, your business can stay connected to your employees, customers, and communities around the clock. Sign up for services in less than two minutes at goblackfoot.com slash morethanvoice. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications is the official digital sponsor of Bobcat Sports and Grizzly Athletics. And then in in the Big Sky, anything that really caught you by surprise? I mean, it was it was sort of the story here that we've been talking about. I mean, UC Davis, Idaho, Sac State, Weber State, Montana, Montana State, sort of the top six teams that we think are going to be playoff contenders. None of them really play the team of the caliber to even challenge them, and and all of those teams walk away with wins. And then sort of at the other end of the conference, Northern Colorado gets destroyed by Abilene Christian. Portland State gets 80 points hung on them by Oregon. Uh, NAU loses by a ton to Arizona. I guess, you know, Cal Poly beating San Diego, probably expected because San Diego doesn't is a non-scholarship team in the, the Pioneer Football League even though Cal Poly hasn't been great this season. Uh, and then Idaho State, although they put up a fight, losing to San Diego State. And any Anything to take away from any of those results for you? Yeah, you know, a, a couple of sp- uh, scores that stood out. You know, Idaho State competing really well against what is usually, you know, a pretty good San Diego State squad. You know, that, that stood out. You know, what what else? Something else that stood out for, for not a great reason, FCS-wise, is Portland State losing that game to Oregon. You know, 81-7, to that's just, you know, oof. <laughs> That is not good there. I understand it's a power five opponent, and in Portland State probably pocketed half a million dollars. But, uh, you know, the psyche of your team when you take a loss like that is, you know, that, that's something that, that certainly uh, comes into play. Uh, you know, Sac State uh, looked pretty good against Nichols, uh, kind of a, um, a, a new look at, at the quarterback uh, situation there at Sac State. Uh, um, they only won by 14 points, but, you know, I thought Sac State, for the most part, was in control of that game. Uh, UC Davis and Idaho uh, and, and Montana State, for that matter, you know, really took it to their uh, inferior FCS opponents, and that's kind of what you're what you're supposed to do when you're you know a ranked FCS opponent is kind of overwhelm uh, some of those lower ranked FCS opponents, and then kind of on the same lines there, but for the opposite reason, 
you know, and I tweeted about this too because I was in the U.S. Bank Stadium press box, and you know, I was following the score of the Montana Butler game, uh, but you know, I, I couldn't watch it, and so you know, I just you know saw that it was you know a one possession game, and then into the third quarter, it was still a one possession game, and you know, I, I tweeted that I'm curious to go and rewatch this game just to see, you know, exactly you know what what shook out you know in this game because typically you know a Montana team or a team that is ranked like Montana would would beat a team like Butler, you know, 42-7 to seven, uh, or something like that. Kind of like, um, I mean, you look at some other results as far as ranked FCS teams versus uh, Pioneer Football League teams. Youngstown State beat Valpo 52-10. to 10. UND beats Drake 55-7. to 7. Uh, You know, Butler, Valpo, Drake, they're all kind of in the, in the same mid-league tier of the Pioneer Football League as far as the preseason poll. And so Monta- for Montana to only win by 15 points, I thought was, was really, you know, intriguing. And I went back and watched that game, and, you know, it was weird because I, I didn't think Montana played all that bad. You know, I thought the offense looked more creative. Uh, you know, I thought it looked more explosive. You know, Sam Vidlock overall, you know, maybe there's some spurts there where the offense was out of rhythm, but... I was honestly kind of surprised that Vidlak got, got pulled in the fourth quarter there. I thought, you know, overall he looked pretty decent. Uh, you know, the defense, you know, lost some 50-50 balls down the field, but the defense was, was pretty disruptive. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, I was watching it and going, you know, Montana, you know, they were playing pretty decent. Uh, but the one thing that I guess stood out is they Montana didn't do anything to make Butler look bad. Um, and like I said, with these type of uh, ranked FCS teams versus Pioneer Football League teams, usually that pioneer team gets overwhelmed uh, and Montana uh, did not do that to Butler. They, they didn't beat up on Butler like Youngstown state did to Valpo or UND did to Drake. Uh, Butler kind of just hung in there and hung in there and hung in there uh, and didn't go away. And usually in these type of matchups, you want to see, you know, a team like Montana just, you know, eventually overwhelm uh, Butler and take it to him. And it, and it obviously ended up being a lot closer than, than a lot of us expected. No, I'm right there with you, man. I sort of tried to convey that in my my post game story for Skyline Sports. Uh, you know, you you're playing the opponent on the field in those early season games, but also you're sort of playing the double standard of the expectations and what you're supposed to look like. I mean, everybody knows going into that game that Butler's not really supposed to be competing with Montana. I mean, the Grizz were 38 and a half point favorites going into that game, and so you, you get the win, you come out one and zero, and like you said, I agree with you. I think the Grizz looked pretty good in a lot of areas in that game. Uh, but, you know, it, it can almost feel, not that it can feel like a loss, but just it, do you feel better as a Grizz fan coming out of that game than you did going in? That's sort of the other competition that you're in, in addition to the game on the field. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC. A couple more minutes here with Sam Herter. National FCS Insider from Hero Sports and BetMGM, kind enough, kind enough to join us for the first uh, segment of every Wednesday's show here on Nuanez Now. Sam, let's look ahead now to this week, and let's get things started, of course, with that huge SDSU-Montana State game in Brookings, rematch of the national semifinal from a year ago. Line came out on Sportsbet Montana earlier this afternoon. Jackrabbit six-and-a-half-point favorites. Does that sort of match up with what you're thinking going into this one? 
Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to see a blowout game similar to what we what we saw in the semifinals. Um, you know, just because uh, we've seen it before too. You know, in the past when when two good teams match up against each other, and you know, there's a blowout. Uh, you know, one year, then the next year they have a rematch, and you you rarely see a blowout. You know, a second time uh, in a row. And so, uh, yeah, I, I do think this is going to be a much closer game, a much more com- uh, competitive game. Uh, Montana State is fully healthy. Uh, you know, the field conditions will, will be will be normal, and so we'll see. You know, if that helps. Um, although, you know, South Dakota State's defense looks looks even faster and even more physical and even more hard hitting than than what it did uh, a year ago at this time. But at the same time, Montana State's you know rushing offense. If we're going off of that first game, they look just as good, if if probably actually even better than than last year. And so, um, you know, just a gigantic uh, matchup between these two, and it's going to uh, tell us a lot uh, about both. You know, with South Dakota State, you know, it's them versus the field. That's what a lot of people are saying, me included. Uh, can the Jacks deliver on that hype? And, uh, you know, can they not, you know, succumb to, to that pressure of, of feeling like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders and they play tight and all that. Um, and on the flip side, Montana State, you know, has gone on such a an unbelievable run, you know, even going back to the 2019 semifinals. Uh, but the last couple of years, you know, obviously making the title game, making last year's semifinals, you know, I know you guys have said that this is, you know, arguably the best run that Montana State football has had. Yet when we measure them up to North Dakota State two years ago or South Dakota State last season, you know, kind of got run off the field and owned in the trenches there. And so can Montana State close that gap? Um, And they probably have heard that all off season of, of getting, uh, you know, pushed around in the trenches. And so uh, a huge off season of, of development for some of those younger offensive and defensive linemen for Montana state. And now we get to see if, if that gap is closing between Montana state and, and those, those other two, uh, I guess, top tier teams in the SCS. Huge matchup, uh, sort of the the exception to the rule that we've been talking about, about there's not a ton of great FCS versus FCS games early in the season. Well, it doesn't get any bigger than this one. Number one, South Dakota State hosting number three, Montana State, on Saturday in Brookings in a matchup that comes with plenty of history as well. It'll be the third year in a row that they've played each other because they traded semifinal wins each of the last two seasons with the Bobcats getting one in 2021 and then South Dakota State returning the favor last year. Uh, South Dakota State also beat the Bobcats in the regular season uh, in 2018. Sam, last thing for you this week and just to, to talk about some of the other games happening around this con- uh, around the country this weekend. What are you going to have your eye on, whether that's good matchups at the FCS level, maybe potential FBS upsets? Uh, what's on your viewing s- schedule for this weekend? Yeah, this one is, is hiding in the shadows of Montana State at South Dakota State, but uh, number 12, Weber State, is going to number 21, uh, Northern Iowa. And that's, you know, any other week that is, you know, probably the, the top game uh, of the week. Uh, I, I'm really high on both of those squads. And so, uh, you know, that's going to be a, in a, a really good matchup. Uh, especially Northern Iowa coming off that loss. They don't want to start 0-2. Uh, at the same time, Weber State you know, maybe has uh, you know, a few doubters, doubters out there, and getting a ranked win on the road would, would maybe possibly silence some of those doubters for Weber State. As far as FCS versus FBS, you know, Idaho go, goes to Nevada. Uh, I actually, uh, it wouldn't be too much of a shocker if Idaho enters that game as like a two-and-a-half-point favorite or something like that. Um, I do think Idaho has a, a great chance to go in there and get an FBS win. Uh, Southern Illinois going to Northern Illinois. New Hampshire goes to Central Michigan. And Holy Cross goes to uh, Boston College. 
those are three more FCS over FBS uh, games that I think could be really, really close and have the potential for FCS over FBS wins. He's Sam Herter, the man. Uh, if you're talking anything FCS nationally, uh, writing for Hero Sports, uh, Bet MGM. Sam, just tell everybody where they can where they can find you at. Yeah, uh, our website is HeroSports.com, and then I'm on Twitter at Sam Herter FCS. Well, good to hear from you as always, man. Uh, great analysis as always. Uh, good to catch up with you, and uh, let's do this again next week. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Part of the glory of building a business comes from leaving a legacy to ensure your business continues thriving into the future. Have you asked yourself lately, what is your plan? Forming a personalized business succession plan is essential to know the passion you put into your business will carry on. Nick Tabor at Westpac Wealth is here to help you navigate all your business succession and retirement planning needs. Give Nick a call at 728-6699 and keep the spirit of possibility vibrant while making your future more tax efficient with a personalized business succession and retirement plan for you. Do you want your sports news, commentary, and features from a corporate publication? Would you like to hear it from local experts who have lived in your community their entire lives? At Skyline Sports, Coulter and Brooks Nuanas bring more than two decades of experience to give you old-school journalism with a new-age presentation at SkylineSportsMT.com. The Nuanas brothers provide knowledge from a family who lives Big Sky Conference athletics every day. For $8 a month or 90 bucks a year, get access to comprehensive college grizz and bobcat coverage at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every Every day, every season.